0: I pray we would be a blessing to you today. We count as draw With our Bibles open today to the book of Genesis, chapter number 1, we will begin with Genesis, the book of beginnings, after a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for the privilege to preach your word. I pray you would open thy word to our hearts and open our hearts to thy word now. Please illuminate the scriptures, shine the light of your word into the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls, for Jesus' sake, and for His glory and honor, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Genesis chapter 1, and I'll begin reading with just verse number 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. As we begin our study book by book through the scriptures, we will follow this general pattern. First, we want you to see an overview of the book, and then we will note some observations in that book, and then finally, we will give you an outline of that book of the Bible. So we begin today with an overview of Genesis. It is the book of beginnings. The book of Genesis is where it all starts. It is the seed plot of the Bible. Here we see the beginning of all things and of all people, except for God. For He was already here in the beginning, and God is eternal, without beginning or ending. Genesis is the foundation for the rest of the Holy Scriptures. Apart from the book of Genesis, it is impossible to understand the Word of God. It lies first in order within our Bible, and the Bible's theme of redemption its foundational events, its main characters, and man's problem are all introduced here in the book of Genesis. We find, relating to redemption, both the revelation of sin and of salvation in the book of Genesis. Early on, actually within the first three chapters of our Bible, we discover God and his saving desire, the devil and his sinister desire and man, and his sinful desire. Genesis begins what is called the Pentateuch, or the first five books in the English Bible. The word Pentateuch is from the Greek word penta, meaning five, and tukos, meaning book, or five books. The Jews refer to these first five books of the Bible as the Torah, or the law, and the Hebrew word means instruction. The term Torah is also used to designate the entire Hebrew Bible, but generally it's restricted to the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by name. These books were written by Moses under the inspiration of both the mind and hand of God. As you think of Luke 24 and verse 44, the books are called the Law of Moses. The authorship of Moses is accredited, and verified by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is attacked and criticized by liberal theologians and modern scholars and those giving themselves over to higher criticism. Nonetheless, Christ quoted from every part of the Pentateuch in his ministry upon the earth, and each and every time he attributed it to Moses. For the proof, we would recommend you to look up these references. Matthew nineteen four through six, Matthew twenty four thirty seven through thirty nine, and these cite Genesis one twenty seven, chapter two twenty three and twenty four, chapter six verses five through eight. For Exodus, look to Mark twelve twenty six to cite Exodus three verse six. For Leviticus, look to Matthew eight verse four, which references and cites Leviticus fourteen one through thirty two. For the book of Numbers. Look at John three, fourteen and fifteen, citing Numbers twenty one, eight and nine, and John six thirty one and thirty two citing Numbers eleven six through nine for Deuteronomy, Mark ten, four and five, which cites Deuteronomy twenty four and verse number one. Jesus, the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, quotes from every book of the Pentateuch, and he knew it to be the beginning of God's divine revelation. If Jesus Christ had no problem with Genesis chapters 1 through 11, neither should we. And so this is the overview of Genesis. It's the seed plot of the Bible. It is the book of beginnings. But then the observations in Genesis. It is a book of creation. Chapter 1, verse 1, we read already, speaks volumes in one simple statement. God in his very own person is the one and only one responsible for bringing the world into existence. Thirty-two times in thirty-one verses, God is mentioned by name in Genesis chapter one. The Bible does not begin, mind you, with any explanation of who God is or where he came from, but rather it begins with the unavoidable truth that God is the creator, in the beginning God. He was already here. He spoke everything into existence and brought all things into being by Himself. And in ten short words in the opening statement of the Bible, God explains where everything started and how all things came to be. If you can accept Genesis 1-1, then the rest of God's book will be no problem for you. But to abandon Genesis chapter 1 and to accept evolution as an alternative is to make a God, little g, out of modern science and reject the true and living God, capital G, altogether. If we cannot trust the Lord when he tells us of creation, then he could not be trusted when he tells us of salvation, or of life and death, of marriage, of finances, of raising children, or of anything else for that matter. Therefore, the first verse of the Bible does not water down the truth of creation, nor make any excuses and apologize to evolutionists or skeptics, nor even attempt to prove that God is. The Spirit of God simply knows and deems the truth of God's eternal existence and of man's creation to be self-evident and in no need of explanation. Friend, consider your body— and tell me that God does not exist. Go out tonight after dark, look up in the sky, see the stars, and tell me that God does not exist. Consider that longing deep inside your soul for something to satisfy, and tell me that God does not exist. John Phillips says, and I quote in one sublime statement, God sweeps aside atheism by asserting his existence. He sweeps aside polytheism by declaring himself to be one, and pantheism by separating himself from matter. I would add to these and say that the belief systems of agnosticism and of materialism are put down and taken away. To speak of atheism is to speak of that belief that there is no God. Polytheism is the belief that there are many gods, and pantheism is the belief that the universe is God and that God is in everything. Agnosticism means there is this belief that God is unknowable. Materialism is the belief that matter is the only substance. All of these are swept away in Genesis 1, verse 1. It's a book of creation, but it's a book of generation. The word generations is found throughout its entirety. And this speaks of someone's birth or origin or their descent, their progress from that point which they began. Generations can be found 18 times in 17 verses, beginning in chapter 2 on to chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 17, chapter 25, chapter 36, and chapter 37. In fact, you actually can outline the book based on that word. Generations. But it's also a book of degeneration. For in Genesis 3, we read of the fall of man, and man here disobeyed the first and only commandment of God, given in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, that they were to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. And in this commandment there was both liberty and law. Of all the other trees they could freely eat, but that one tree was forbidden. And man disobeyed God and fell into sin, and then God therefore placed man out of the garden, and he guarded the way of the tree of life. And so Adam and Eve, in their original state, were created in perfect innocence. They were made in the image of God, Genesis one twenty-six through 26-31, chapter 2, verse 7, and verse 25. They did not have knowledge of good or evil. And they were without sin. They had no experience of sin. There was no sin in their hearts, and God's commandment was accompanied by God's warning of death for disobedience. It presented man with a choice and with a consequence. Adam could obey God and experience the blessings of God forever, or he could disobey God and he would surely die. In this, God revealed himself to Adam as one who is both holy and just, as a judge. As well as a Savior. There is a necessity required by the holiness of God. He must punish sin. If God's law was not accompanied by God's punishment, it would have no effect and the universe would be chaos and anarchy. Therefore, from the very beginning, man was placed under the government of God. It is God who determines the law and not man. Morality has never been relative, and it is not today. Rather, it is based on the absolutes of God's law. Mankind belongs to God by right of creation and is therefore under obligation to acknowledge and obey God in all things. Man will give account of himself individually to God. This degeneration can be traced from Adam to Abraham. But thirdly, it is a book of regeneration. We'll deal with this our next time together. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you. We thank you for making this ministry a part of your day. And in closing, we want to point you to the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And truly, it is written. God's Word, every word, presents us with truths to live by. You've been listening to Brother Benjamin Cooley. Please send all correspondence to Truths to Live By, P.O. Box 575, Harriman, Tennessee, 37748. Or you can email us at bmark cooley at gmail.com and finally brethren pray for us